0: 971 FM talk
1: on demand audio 971 FM talk Larry Rifkin is on the phone with us he is uh, many things but he is now the author of no dead air career Reflections from the TV executive who saved Barney the dinosaur from extinction so Larry good morning to you Good morning, Ryan. How are you? So I love the title of the upcoming documentary that's been made, I guess, about you and uh, from Peacock <laughs> TV. Um, I, by the way, I love Peacock. I love a lot of the programming that they have on there, um, which is why I wanted to talk to you, because I love you, you hate me is the name of the documentary, which I think is, is really funny. You must uh, You must know your role in the entertainment world, having saved Barney.
2: <laughs> well, let me say this that I I think there's a lot more love. And when I tell people about the tone of the documentary in terms of some of the issues that they raise about the backlash against Barney, honest to goodness, Ryan, there are people who say, i don 't know that <laughs> i didn 't feel that uh, we love Barney, and uh, so many people telling me still to this day i 'm talking about thirty years later that Barney was truly a signal programme in their development in the way that they look at life, and that uh, you know the songs are still there in their head, and they would love to share it with a new generation of uh, young people so I mean, I know the tack that was taken about whether in fact. Uh, a broken America might have started at this uh <laughs> tremulous point back in the nineties and and there's some legitimacy perhaps, uh, but nonetheless, I think um, my focus and those of the people who were in the production throughout uh, was really more on making a program that was so age-appropriate, so wonderfully crafted for that uh, group of youngsters that we paid little attention to some of the pushback that might have been going on in frat houses and uh, (laughs) in little circles online, but online wasn't quite what it is today then either.
1: Well, Larry, I think you kind of hit the point there. It's that you gotta remember who Barney's for you know if you if you if you're thinking that this is for somehow a, a teenager or something then you're off the mark you know that that's that's what gets lost in it's an easy target for a kid who gets older to make fun of a show that's for younger kids right that's the way it <laughs> no, usually no, you're right. and
2: in fact what i think is really fascinating ryan think about it in the book i talk about the fact that when people ask me well what do you think any of this backlash was about and i say number one Barney was a disruptor, an early disruptor in many families. By that I mean this two-and-a-half, three-year-old was never that vocal (laughs) in what it was that they wanted early on. They were going along, and if the older, as you say, brother or sister loved Power Rangers, well, they sat down and watched Power Rangers. When Barney came along, they recognized, hey, this is meant for me. This is what I love, because at that stage, they love to be educated and entertained at the same time. And Barney did that so well. I don't know if you're aware, but we had a survey or study done by a group that did television research at Yale University back in the day. And uh, this uh, husband and wife team determined that Barney had over 100 learning moments in every program, and they called it a nearly perfect preschool program and I say in the documentary that to me Barney was Fred Rogers going electric
1: yeah you know I I don't think that they're looking at what my kids are watching and now they're you know they're eight and they're five so they're a little bit past that but you know we're just past that age there Mm -hmm. isn't as much entertainment now that is educational and so i you know as much flack as barney gets and i don't know that we were we were a little bit outside the barney zone just because it's not one of the most you know coveted shade bluey is what they were looking at now and stuff like that (laughs) but uh but there's not as much education in little kids programming right now as when i was a kid I, i noticed that for sure
2: yeah and don't forget you know pbs the holy grail of PBS programming is the children's programming. If you go back to the fact that Fred Rogers went in front of a congressional committee at a time when the PBS and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting were very new, even though PBS and public broadcasting was somewhat of an afterthought in America, whereas in Britain or Japan, the primary broadcaster was a public service broadcaster. But we turn that on its head in America, as we do many things. And it was really up to Fred Rogers to save our appropriation, which doesn't make up the bulk of our funding by any means, but it is a really important baseline. So really, what they were doing at PBS at the time that I discovered Barney and Home Video through my daughter's four-year-old eyes was that they were looking for something to complement Fred Rogers and Sesame Street. And they put us in a challenge. I don't know if most people understand this, but it was part of a test. Uh, And we were put up against Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chops Playhouse and Shining Time Station, which, of course, enveloped Thomas the Tank Engine. And so they got on the air before we did, Ryan, and they did all right. But they really didn't break out. And PBS could not afford to fund three new series simultaneously. We got on last April 6, 1992. And believe it or not, without any empirical evidence of what was really happening with this incredible phenomenon that was building, we were canceled. And so that's why I have the subtitle to my book uh, as the TV executive who saved Barney from extinction, because I mounted a campaign within the public uh, television system, and I was successful in turning back a decision a month later. Uh, Nobody knew we had been canceled because we still had the first 30 that were rolling out at the time. So I'm really proud of the fact that uh, uh, many of the programmers in the system, I'm sure the folks in St. Louis at the time and Miami and Baltimore and Philadelphia, and they sensed the tremor that was developing with Barney, and we pushed back on PBS. And to my recollection, it is the only decision that has ever been turned back since PBS went to a chief programming executive model. In the past, we used to vote on every program that would come onto public television. And we always said we wanted new programming, but guess what we did? we never voted to support any new programs therefore many of the public television programs uh, were 20 and 30 years old by that time
1: Larry Rifkin on the phone with us he's the subject of the documentary on Peacock right now I love you you hate me Um, so you hit on a couple things there that I do want to talk about before we run out of time because we're getting close here sure but um, when so you worked at PBS for years at PBS Connecticut right
2: Right, I was part of a local station, but that's where programming comes from in our system. PBS by charter doesn't produce programming. I could explain that, but I do in the book. So yeah, and I actually,
1: no, that's one of the reasons I asked because uh, before I was doing this here radio job, uh, I I was an independent producer <clears throat> of material that was primarily targeted at PBS, and so Ooh. we uh, we figured out kind of how to run through the systems of uh, we ended up using nita which is deep oh, stuff know. Yeah, i know, for I know most people yeah. <laughs> listening won't know <laughs> what that means but uh, but you do and yeah. so uh, i'm just letting you know that we you know we're pretty familiar with the pbs world and before you go you know i just wanted to ask when you and other pbs um heads at different different local pbs stations like ours is 9 pbs 9 here in st louis right how do you decide which programming to pick i mean there is there a sort of a free market element to that that every station really is it is so independent that you can pick really whatever you want to run or does pbs national determine any of that
2: well that's a great question i mean they like you to keep the common carriage if you will and require a certain number of hours but frankly ryan uh my second kind of known achievement in the programming world was bringing University of Connecticut women's basketball to television, and we had the leg up on our commercial counterparts in the Connecticut market because they could not preempt that amount of programming in prime time, particularly during the winter, which was the highest viewing season, I knew that and took advantage when we had to go into competition with them to get the franchise. So the second thing that I'm known for, UConn women's basketball and ESPN, was looking in at what we were doing. And I think a lot of the women's sports that you see on national television today derives from the success a wild success that we've had with UConn women's basketball, but we were able to carve out our own schedule in Connecticut, allowing us to provide that kind of programming.
1: Larry, before we let you go here, everything is moving all entertainment and really anything Mm. that people are watching is moving toward a full free market, uh, system. And I mean, YouTube in a sense is the ultimate free market because you can watch whatever you want, you know, anytime you want. Um, YouTube itself is not a free market because it uh, doesn't allow certain things on there. But I think what I'm saying is in the world we're heading into, and I want to know what your, your expertise would speak to this. Sure. What is the future for PBS? You know, this is a – it has been a TV staple for so long, but the market is moving away from TV. What do you see happening to, to PBS?
2: Well, PBS certainly is going with online programming and streaming and digitizing all of its content. So they're trying to stay relevant to what the technology is requiring today. The thing that I worry about most, you know, PBS and all of our local programmers are real good gatekeepers. So when you come to a PBS station, you know that somebody has put some care and thought uh, into the experience that you are going to derive from watching that program. Uh, The problem today is that there are no gatekeepers in many of the quarters that we're talking about. So it's really up to the individual who's listening to this program and then watching these programs to be a very, very discerning listener or viewer because they're getting content whether it's a podcast and I do a podcast now or whether it's a television program that is done by someone out of their home. I mean, it may be entertaining, but you know, has anybody really thought about it? It's like not having an editor at a newspaper. So I think you have to be very careful. And it's wonderful that we have this democratized system, but to me, I'm so glad that I brought a Barney out in the nineteen. 19- I don't know if it would have gotten lost today in the cacophony of everyone being a television station or producer.
1: It's tough, isn't it? Yeah, the, the marketplace is much more jammed than it used to be. And I I've, I don't quite go back back probably as far as you do into the 90s, but I, I live some of that world, and I can see the difference even in five, ten years ago. So,
2: Larry, Yeah, I don't think Barney could have been yeah. the phenomenon that it is uh, you know still recognized to be. Right.
1: Well, Larry, I really appreciate your time and your knowledge. Uh, the documentary is on Peacock TV. It's about you. It's it's called I Love You, You Hate <laughs> Me, which is a great title. Uh, and your book, No Dead Air, Career Reflections from the TV Executive Who Saved Barney the Dinosaur from Extinction. Where do you want people to go get that, Larry? And Amazon, clearly. Okay, Amazon. We'll send people to Amazon, and thanks for being here. More Wiggins America right around the corner. Get more at 971talk.com.
0: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and
1: each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over
0: here. Only at T-Mobile. Get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.